Hey everybody, it's Chris. Welcome or welcome back to the Beyond Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this conversation, would you head to our socials at Beyond Church AU, either on Instagram or Facebook and give us a follow. That's the easiest way to share this content with a friend who might find it helpful. And while you're at it, you can click the link in our description to sign up to our email newsletter. That's the easiest way to stay up to date on everything that's going on around here at Beyond. But in the meantime, I hope this following conversation inspires you to take your next step on your faith journey. Enjoy. I'm going to miss that trailer being so dramatic after this series. I don't think the next series' trailer is quite as dramatic. But um, hey, here's a question, uh, or here's, here's something all of us in the room rather have in common. Um, and this is not like a Christian thing. This is not like a we live in Morton Bay thing. This is just like a, a human, human nature thing that um, applies to all of us. And that's this, um, if our worst decisions were fueled by something with strong emotional appeal, right? This is not revolutionary. You're not thinking like, wow, this is so smart, right? Because you know this, right? You know that some of the worst decisions you've ever made, right? You know, uh, there was a time when you're like, I've got to have it. I've got to date him. I've got to date her. I've got to move in. I've got to get that lease. I've got to take that job. I've got to send that email. I've got to make that call. And then all of a sudden, um, you just there was this strong emotional appeal, and then you did it. And then you got it. And then you had it. And then, here's the weird thing, right? Something happened. And you know what happened? It lost its appeal. And all of a sudden, you were like, why, why did I take this job? Or that, that thing that you had to have. You don't even know where in the house it is right now. You can't wait to break the lease. Or you just like want them to move out. You're like, oh my goodness, this is, this is so challenging. And so, we, w- but there's this thing that you had to have. And then all of a sudden, weeks, months, years later, it just loses its appeal. And, um, and we're going to talk about this today, right? Um, it's it's going to be a little bit heavy. Um, it's going to be maybe a little bit heavy. Um, and But we I feel like th- we need to talk about this on the back end of this series. So just in case it's a little bit heavy and before you get to any of that, here's just my idea um, when it comes to living this way. Um, you can just not listen to anything else from this point on in case you don't like heavy stuff. It's just this. Um, let's not do that anymore. Okay, simple, right? Let's just not, let's not strong, let's not allow strong emotional appeal to lead us to do something that then later we're like, I don't know why I got that. I don't know why I did it. We should just stop that, okay? Message there, that's done. If you don't like any of the hard stuff, you just can just finish it here, sit, or you can get up and leave. Um, that's fine too. But um, we're going to come back to that um, because we are wrapping up this series called The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future. Um, and the way we do things here at Beyond is we'll camp out on an idea or a topic for a number of weeks and we'll sort of start by like introducing it and then every sort of week we'll kind of take a little bit more of a step and we'll kind of go a little bit uh, more in depth into this particular topic. And so we're wrapping this series up today called The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future. And if you've missed anything throughout this series, or you want to catch up with it, or you're sitting there, you're listening to this um, conversation, you think this would be really great to share with a friend. The best way to share it with a friend or to catch up is just get out, pull out your phone, go to like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whichever podcast platform you listen to and just type in Beyond Church AU. There'll be a green B and you can listen to all of these messages again. You can share them with a friend um, again on that. But this series has really been around this idea, this principle that we've called the principle of the path, um, which says that direction determines destination. So whatever direction you're facing in life, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's financially, whether it's in your parenting, whether it's spiritually, whether it's at work, whatever direction it might be, that is the destination that you are going to end up in. And over sort of parts two or three, we said that there's, there's another word we had to add in because there's often this tension that arises when we feel like 
we don't end up at the destination, but we felt like we were, we were facing in the right direction. And so he said that word is this, direction, not intention, determines destination. And parents, <coughs> you get this more than anyone else, right? Especially parents of toddlers, you get this more than anyone else, right? Because your toddler is just hanging out, playing, they're having a great time, they're moving in a direction and it's going to lead to a destination and all of a sudden you realize where that direction is leading them to, right? It's going to lead them to the pool, it's going to lead them to put their hand on a hot surface, it's going to lead them to like, you know, trip over, hurt themselves, it's not a safe place. And so what happens? Their intention is not to hurt themselves, their intention is not to do anything wrong, but all of a sudden you're like, I've got to step in, I've got to help. Parents of high schoolers or kids who are out of high school, you feel this when they bring a boy or a girl home, okay? Oh, but he's so sweet. He's so nice. He smells great. He's, he's just so lovely. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, who are his friends? How does he talk to people when he's not around? What, what's, what does he want to do with his life? Do, does his values line up with yours, right? Because you know it's just not enough to have good intentions, that it's your direction, that not your intentions, that actually um, determines your destination. So that's the sort of setup for where we've been Let's go back to this idea of strong emotional appeal. Now, strong emotional appeal, um, the path to be avoided in life, like in any arena of life, is always paved with strong emotional appeal. Now, the, the challenging part with life is that you can't, you, can't, um, you can't escape strong emotional appeal. Strong emotional appeal will show up on whatever path you take in life. The challenge is how do we navigate it when it comes up? Because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Um, and in case you're wondering what strong emotional appeal could look like, here are some things that strong emotional appeal could look like. You know, it's newer, got to have it. It's faster, you really got to have it. It's, it's bigger, it's so much better. Like strong emotional appeal, it's romance, it's desire, it's that um, want to be accepted, it's that cry for attention, it's the um, yearning for adventure or security. Now, just let me clarify, these, these are not like bad things. I'm not saying like, don't want those things, okay? I'm not saying they're, they're not bad things. All I'm saying is they're not enough, right? In fact, some of these things are really good things, but they're just not enough to determine the direction of your life. Just because it's newer should not be good enough for you to determine the direction of your life. It's faster, it, they give you acceptance. That should not be enough for you to determine the direction of your life life we need we need something more and in case you're sort of like you know there's a challenge there and you're sort of like ah yeah but chris like the shiny things the strong emotional appeal things they're so good here's two reasons um or two things that these sorts of um strong emotional appeals do to us right they lower our defenses and they raise our defensiveness right? they lower our defenses and they raise our defensiveness uh, defensiveness um if someone brings you a problem or if someone at work or if someone in your family or if someone in your connect group brings up something to you and you know you know it's got this strong emotional appeal to it, what's the first thing you do? You get defensive, right? The resistance comes up. You push back. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand and you don't get it and here's why. And when we do that, we're actually playing into something that's called the confirmation bias. Okay, confirmation bias is pretty much you see what you want to see and you hear what you want to hear. See what you want to see as long as it affirms your position and you hear what you want to hear as long as it affirms your position. Now, the research tells us that the confirmation bias actually lowers our IQ. You knew this anyway, right? You didn't need the research to tell you. Here's, here's why you knew this. is because you have done things that people warned you about, that people had conversations with you about, 
the people flagged with you and you got defensive and you pushed them away and you, you resisted it. And then, okay, these are your words, not mine, your words. Um, you had a moment, and you probably didn't say this to anyone out loud, but you got into a situation and you thought to yourself, how could I have been so stupid? Right? See, proof, like your IQ gets dropped. You thought to yourself, how could I have put myself in this position? What, what led me, what series of steps got me here? And how did I not see what everyone else was trying to tell me about this situation? The challenge um, with, with this as well is that it also drops our EQ. It also drops our EQ because when there's strong emotional appeal, we don't often take the time that's needed to step back, recognize the emotions that we're feeling, and process them properly. And so we just act quickly. We act impulsively while there's appeal. And when there's strong emotional appeal, what we need more than ever is to step back, to listen, to bring other people into the conversation. And even if it is the right decision, we just need to pause a minute to be able to um, confirm that. Now, what's kind of amazing, at least, at least to me, being a Christian, and maybe to those of you who are Christians as well, um, what's kind of amazing to me is there was a guy in the first century, his name was Paul. Um, if you read, if you've ever read any of the New Testament, um, some people might refer to him as the Apostle Paul. Um, we're not that formal around here. So we just call him Paul. And Paul actually talked about this in the first century. Now, Paul stepped onto the pages of history um, as someone who hated the church, whose goal it was to eradicate the church. Um, and then he became a Jesus follower. And he spent most of his adult life after he became a Jesus follower I would say kind of doing what we as a local church want to do, okay? Our heart here at Beyond is to create churches that people who don't go to church, people who didn't grow up in church, people who had a bad faith experience would love to engage with. And Paul did that in the first century. He went all around to the Mediterranean Rim and he started these churches in places, in these non-Jewish places, in these Greco-Roman worlds. And so they didn't have the understanding of the Jewish culture that people who lived around Jesus would have. And so Paul had to explain, A, who Jesus was, and then explain the Jesus way of living to them in the first century. And he started all these little um, Jesus uh, movements and these uh, churches all around the Mediterranean Rim, and then he wrote letters to them. And he was really encouraging in some letters, he was really direct in other letters, he just flat out challenged them and called them idiots in other letters. Um, and in one particular letter that he wrote to a church in Galatia, he talked about this idea of strong emotional appeal. Now, just to clarify, he uses first century terms, okay? He doesn't use our terms, he uses his terms. And so what I want to do is I want to read to you what Paul wrote to this church in Galatia, and then I want to um, translate it into our terms so that we can, we can see and learn from this wisdom that Paul had. So here's, here's what he wrote. He said, for you. Now, when he says you, he's talking to Jesus followers, okay? Which means if you're not sure where you sit on faith, if you're not sure about the whole Jesus thing, um, Paul's not writing to you, which is great news because you can like figure it out as you go. You can listen to everything that Paul has to say. You can take notes, you can pick and choose, and then you can apply the parts that you would like to apply. But if you're a Jesus follower, Paul's writing to us. And here's what he says. He says, for you have been called to live in freedom. I don't know how many of you would, would characterize maybe your experience of following Jesus as a freeing experience. But what Paul would say is, is if your experience of following Jesus doesn't lead to freedom, doesn't lead to liberation, then you've got the wrong version. Or maybe you grew up on the wrong version. If the version of Christianity you have is restrictive and closed and narrow, Paul would say, you need a new version. 
And so if that's your version and you're not sure about it, I'd like to invite you to the version of Christianity that Paul talks about. And here's what he says. He goes, for you have been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Okay, this is a Bible term, right? Sinful nature. It's not a term we often hear. Um, and really, you can define sin so many different ways, but I think the simplest way I could define sin is, is just this. Sin equals separation, or sin causes separation. Sin is that thing in your life that um, you say it, even though in the back of your mind it's like, don't say it, 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 you say it. Don't send the email, and then you do it. It's that thing in your mind, you just, you just know it, it bubbles up within you, and then it lashes out. And then what does it do when it, when it erupts out? It causes separation in your family, and it causes relational disconnect, it causes tension in the workplace, you have to go and apologize, you have to go and navigate that. It causes, um, yeah, it causes all sorts of challenges. If you're a Christian, it leads to separation between you and God. But more than just separation with God or with other people, eventually it leads to a sort of separation within yourself, right? Because when you act in a way that's not the way you want to live, that you have values and that you act in a way you're like, ah, that's that's not really me, that's not really the person that I want to be, it creates a disconnect or a separation within ourselves, within the people that we hope to be and that for those of us who are Jesus followers, who God wants us to be. And so Paul says, hey, don't use your freedom to satisfy this sinful nature or satisfy those desires that you have that just lead to separation in life, in, in relationships. He said, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And this is effectively the ethic of the New Testament, right? If you could um, boil Christianity down to like just relationships and, and, um, and just what relationships looks like, Christianity would be all about how you treat other people. Specifically, how you leverage your freedom to serve and love other people. And for those of you who have like tried this, for those of you who have done this, for those of you who have lived in this way, you know that when you leverage your freedom to serve others, to love others, that's the path to life that leads to the most fulfillment. Right? But when you use and leverage your freedom to create separation between others, when you use and leverage your freedom to go behind others' backs, often that leads to the most dissatisfaction in the long run. It'll feel great in the moment, but over time, if you live that way long enough, if you go down that path for long enough, it will lead to the most dissatisfaction in your life. And then Paul takes a play from Jesus' playbook. He actually quotes Jesus in this next section. He says this, for the whole law, now before we get to him quoting Jesus, for the whole law, what's Paul talking about here? I think he's probably talking about two types of law, okay? Because Paul was Jewish, but he's also writing to people who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith. So when Paul's talking about the whole law, there was the Jewish law, which was 613 commandments. Paul's like, all of that, plus this church in Galatia, plus all of the general law, you know, the general law that you have, you know, about the way you should conduct business, about the way you should behave, about the way you should treat other people, just all the general stuff as well. So he goes, if we were to combine all the Jewish law and all the general law, it can be summed up in one command. Imagine being that bold. Paul's like, you don't, need, you don't need 613 commands. You don't need the other ones. Let me just give you one that will unify all of them together. And this is what he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in case you think that's a bit far-fetched, in case you're like, oh, Paul's so idealistic. Good one, Paul. That would never work. Just, just imagine, right, 
just imagine what our world would look like if just for one day, one day, everyone did that. Everyone in your workplace loved their colleagues as much as they love themselves. What about just for one day, if everyone in your family loved each other as much as they love themselves? Like what, what about, how would, it, how would it look like politically if nations across the world just loved each other as much as they love themselves? And then the crazy thing for those of us who are Jesus followers is Jesus like raised the stakes on this idea, right? We're not going to talk about this this morning, but Jesus raised the stakes, right? He said, for those of you who are Jesus followers, you're not just to love your neighbor as yourself, you're to love your neighbor as God through Jesus loves you. Like the stakes are even higher for those of us who are Jesus followers. And in case you're like, well, how would I do that? Paul, what, what would that even look like? Paul uh, says this, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And what does that mean? First of all, it's not weird, okay? It's incredibly simple, because I don't know about you, but when I grew up in church and people would talk about the Holy Spirit, they'd always make it weird. It's not weird. It's not, it doesn't need to be weird. The, the picture I had in my mind was just like, you get this like voice from heaven telling you what to do, or this whisper telling you what to do. This is not what Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about here is living in sync with the internal nudgings of the Holy Spirit in your life. And for those of us who have become Jesus followers, we believe that the Holy Spirit lives with inside of us to help guide us and help us live our lives in the way that Jesus would want us to live. And so it is to be, pay attention to and to live in sync with what the, Holy, the way the Holy Spirit wants you to live. And in case you're wondering like, well, what does that even look like, Chris? That's still not clear. Here's where the Holy Spirit will always nudge you. The Holy Spirit will always nudge you towards others' firstness. The Holy Spirit will always nudge you to leverage what you have for the benefit of other people. The Holy Spirit will always nudge you to think about other people before you think about yourself. That's what it looks like. And the outcome of doing this, Paul says, is this. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. If you listen to the Holy Spirit living inside of you and it is constantly telling you to put others first, put others first, put others first, put others first, then you will not, um, you will have a better chance of fighting against that thing that wants to cause separation between you and others. Because when you're constantly thinking about other people and how you can leverage what you have for them, it takes a lot of time for you to flip back into and then to figure out, well, what can I just get for me? And so Paul says that's kind of the way that you sort of navigate these emotionally appealing, situ appealing situations. And then because Paul's Paul, he wants to drive home his point. He says this, The sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit guides, uh, guides our desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So he sort of highlights, right, that there's this tension within us between what we want to do and what we ought to do. And that's just a natural tension, right? It exists between all of us. Some Christians are like, I should get rid of that tension of what I want to do in the first thought. No, it's just natural, okay? The challenge is not acting on that strong emotional appeal of what you want to do and what you know you ought to do and the way you ought to treat people. And the Christian um, way of answering this and why this tension exists is pretty simple because we believe that we're made in the image of God. And if we're made in the image of God, then there is something that God has hardwired into our DNA and hardwired into our being that we know the way in which we generally should treat other people. 
And so that tension that we experience between what we want to do in the moment, that emotionally appealing thing, and what we ought to do is what I would say is the thumbprint of God or the image of God on our lives. And then Paul sort of goes on, he explains a little bit more. He said, these two forces, what we want to do and what we ought to do, they're constantly fighting each other. And so you're actually not free to carry out your good intentions. There's always this tension, right, that exists. In other words, and and you already know this, strong emotional appeal is a red flag, not a green light. Any time in your life you have a strong emotional appeal and it's overpowering and it's overriding, you should look back and go, ooh, that may be a good decision. That may be an opportunity for me to pursue. But in the first instance, it should be a red flag that you need to pay attention to it. It shouldn't be like, oh, that's a green light. I just got to run and I got to charge forward into it. It means we got to be wise enough to take a step back. Paul goes on, he says this, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses, which is kind of a powerful statement for those of us who have grown up in church and those of us who are Jesus followers. Because effectively, Paul says that when you are directed by the Spirit, the Ten Commandments don't apply to you. Think about that. Some of you are like, oh, the Ten Commandments apply to me. No, they don't. Paul says, when you follow Jesus, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. Now, here's the caveat. The Jesus version is far more demanding than the law of Moses. The Jesus version is far more challenging than the law of Moses. In fact, without going into too much detail, often the question that we ask here at Beyond to kind of apply the Jesus way of living is to simply say, hey, ask this question. What does love require of me? It's the most annoying question to ask when you want to send that email, when you want to make that call, when you're having an argument with your spouse. It is so frustrating to ask that question. What does love require of me? It is far more demanding than the law of Moses ever wants to be. And, and what Paul is saying is, if you're a Jesus follower, this should be our default setting. When it comes to morality, when it comes to dating, when it comes to conflict in the office, when it comes to managing personalities that don't clash with us, this should be our default setting. And Paul says, if this is our default setting, this is the kind of life it, it leads to. Um, when you follow the desire, oh no, sorry, the opposite, rather. He goes the opposite first. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And I'm not going to read you the list. You can read it for yourself. Um, but Paul writes this massive long list of all the things that happen when separation occurs in our lives and when the sinful nature takes over. I have a hunch um, that if we were to get a whiteboard up here and, and I was going, hey, just yell out a whole bunch of things, we'd create a very similar list to what Paul created, right? So we don't need to recreate it. But I did want to highlight three things on this list that Paul sort of brings up. Because there are three things that, that I think are, oh, they're kind of hard, right? They're kind of hard things for us to, to navigate. Um, and people who care about you tell you hard things. So here are the three things that I wanted to highlight. The first one is sexual immorality, selfish ambition, and envy. So these are three of the things that are on the list. Now, if you are not a Jesus follower... You probably look at this, and maybe this whole idea of sexual immorality is the reason that you like aren't a Christian. Because you're like, oh, it's sexually oppressive. Christians are always trying to get up in everyone else's bedroom and exert their morality on them and have a dig at them and tell them how they should live their lives. Here's what you need to know. And the next time a Christian does this, quote me, actually quote Paul. Because Paul, in another one of his letters, was talking about this idea. And he actually said, what business of mine is it to judge people who don't follow Jesus? And you know what he said? None of my business. And so for those of us who are Christians, 
It is not our business to get up in your bedroom. It is not our business to have opinions about people who do not follow Jesus and the way they carry out their lives. But the reason Paul includes this in the list is because he's talking to Christians, remember. And you know, as well as I do, that sex has such an intoxicatingly strong emotional appeal. And Paul knew the separation and Paul knew the challenges and Paul understood the difficulties that sex could create if we didn't get it in the right context and if we weren't given instruction. So it makes complete sense that on a challenging topic this big that Paul would add it into this list. Because for those of you who know nothing has the potential to create long-lasting damaging effects than sex and sexual encounters and sexual experiences, right? And so it makes sense that he would include it that way. Then he adds in as well selfish ambition, right? Nothing can undermine workplaces and undermine relationships and undermine families more than selfish ambition. And then this one, envy, this is one that's just going to destroy or has the potential to really tear your life apart, right? This is one of those ones where you, your friends get a bigger car, so you get a bigger car. Your friends get a bigger house, so you get a bigger house. Your friends send your kids to that school, and so you've got to send them to that school. And your, your friends' kids are in these programs, so you've got to get in your kids into those programs. And all of a sudden, you start, because you're envious of someone else, you start competing with someone who doesn't realize they're in a competition with you. And you start competing with people who don't even know that they're playing this game with you. And envy has the potential to just create so much separation within yourself because you go chasing after things you don't want, um, within relationships with other people because you get angry and you get resentful of them. And it really has the potential to destroy and challenge families because there's all these other added pressures that come with this. And what Paul says next when he talks about these is so disturbing. He says, let me tell you again, because he's had to tell the Galatians multiple times, right? Because this is not something we hear once. We need to be reminded of it ultimately. I'm going to tell you again, I've told you this before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty full on, isn't it? What Paul is saying is, if you live that, that way, you will experience loss in your life in some way, shape or form. There will be a loss that occurs. Now, I don't think because of the context, I don't think Paul's talking about you'll lose eternity or you'll lose salvation. I don't think Paul's talking about that at all. What I think Paul is saying is if you live this way, you will miss out on the chance to experience the kingdom of God right here, right now. In your marriage, in your workplace, in your friendships, in your relationship with God. And here's, here's the thing for those of us who are Jesus followers. Here's where this should cause us to pay attention. If there are things in your life that used to cause your conscience to ding, that now they no longer do. If there is a way that you can treat people and you can justify it and it doesn't cause your conscience to ding, that should be a cue for you to pay attention. That should be a cue for you maybe to repent. That should be a cue for you to get alone with God and maybe begin living in a different direction. Opt to live in a, in a direction that is ultimately satisfying, but in the moment is very much less appealing. And Paul says, hey, if you do that, here's what that kind of lifestyle looks like. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And maybe no one told you about this in church growing up. Maybe no one painted this picture of Christianity for you growing up. But this is what it should look like if you are following Jesus. Your life should look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
what does that look like? To me, that looks like someone I want to marry. Uh, that looks like someone I want to work with. That looks like someone I want to work for. That looks like someone, you know, when my daughter grows up, I wanted to date someone like this, right? This sort of stuff is something that is, is like if all Jesus followers live this way, I think more people would want to be Jesus followers because they would look in and they'd be like, wow, I want that. And then Paul says this thing, it's just, it's so profound, but if you've read it a million times, you'll miss it. He says this, there is no law against these things. You know what we need to create laws against? Sexual immorality, selfish ambition, and envy. Because if those things go to an extreme, they lead to us hitting the self-destruct button on our lives. They lead to us helping hitting the self-destruct button on other people's lives unintentionally. Just think for a moment how silly it would be if someone walked up and they're like, you are just too joyful. There needs to be a law against how much joy you can have in your life because it's just too much and I'm sick of it. Wouldn't happen, right? Now imagine someone coming up and be like, oh my goodness, how's your day? Well, I'm really frustrated because my husband is way too faithful to me. He writes me love notes all the time. He makes me playlists all the time. He was always sending me cute texts, and I'm just sick of how faithful he is to me. I wish someone would create a law so he could stop him being so faithful. Like, no one's ever said that. No one's ever said, mm, I wish there was a law about self-control. This person has too much self-control. They need to have a little bit less. I just want them to mess up a little bit more. I wish we could institute a law where you could only be self-controlled 70% of the time, right? And what Paul is saying is if we were to live this way, you wouldn't need to make laws against that sort of stuff because you would constantly be thinking of other people first. So here's, here's my final question for this series, and then I'm done, right? We can move on to love dates and heartbreaks next week. You can put this series behind you. You can put this message behind you. But here's the final question I want you to just think about this week. Have you become so enamored or have you become so drawn to or appealed to with something or someone on your path that you fail to recognize where the path is taking you? Has something with such strong emotional appeal come across your path and you've become so drawn off that you've become so intoxicated or you've just become so drawn that you actually lo have lost sight of where this path is taking you? Have you, um, have you lowered your defenses in life? Have you raised your defensiveness? Have you resisted people who have, um, who have given you feedback or have called you or asked you out on this? And would you be willing to, to change course? Would you be willing to opt to live in a different direction? Now, I know this is the last thing, right? I promise last thing. I know this is not a super fun message. And some of you, maybe you're thinking about this and, and maybe this in message for you has caused you to think like, is there a way back for me if I've been living in the wrong direction for so long? Here's the answer. The answer is yes, there is a way back. Thankfully, because of Jesus, there is a way back. In fact, the way back, we've been talking about this whole series, the way back is to live in a new direction. And that is what Jesus invites every single person to do. That because of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus goes, hey, doesn't matter what your starting point is, doesn't matter how long you've lived in a different direction, it doesn't matter how long you've lived in a different way, every single person can have the same starting point and every single person has the opportunity to live in a brand new direction. Every single person has the opportunity to begin to follow Jesus, no matter what path they've been on up until this point. I can't guarantee you that following Jesus will be easier, but I can guarantee that if you follow Jesus, He will eventually take you to where you ultimately want to be. So why don't we pray?
Jesus, when we think about our lives and we think about the direction of our lives, it can be a really challenging thing because it can cause us to think about and evaluate, are we, are we really where we want to be? The good news that, that you bring us is that because of your death on the cross and because of the grace and the love that you have extended, that it doesn't matter what our track record suggests. It doesn't want matter what the path um, behind us has looked like, that we can begin to live in a brand new direction. And so, Father, f- I pray for all of us that we would live in your direction, that we would listen to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and that our life would produce fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of all those things that make us more like you, but also make us incredibly attractive and make your message incredibly attractive to people who don't yet know you. And so help us to become more like you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, thanks so much for listening. And hey, if you live in the Griffin, Marumba Downs, North Lakes, or Moreton Bay region, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend environments. You can find out more by heading to our website, beyondchurch.com.au. You'll find directions, service times, and what you can expect, as well as information on our Upstreet Kids Club, which is our primary school-aged environment, and Infinity Youth, our high school-aged environment. That website, beyondchurch.com.au.